Hi, this is Oscar. This is Sanjana. And this is Hayden. You are listening to Daily Discoveries, and we are part of The Daily at the University of Washington, and this is the podcast where we discuss new discoveries in Science Weekly. All right. Hello, everyone. This week, we will be talking about cell-based meats grown entirely from just a couple cells into kilograms of cells of meats that are intended to be edible uh, and the new way to eat meat in a more sustainable way. So the article that that we're talking about is called Production of Scaffold-Free Cell-Based Meat Using Cell Sheet Technology, coming out of the Shimizu lab. Their goal is to produce meat in a more sustainable way because meat production is having a large impact on global warming because it produces large amounts of gases, uh, specifically from feed production and manure management manure. (laughs) This actually adds up to 14.5% of total greenhouse gases, which is absolutely nuts. So obviously... Finding a sustainable way to produce meat in the lab, which I mean, it sounds kind of weird, but it would definitely make a huge difference in reducing greenhouse gases. And so cell-based meats are, how are they environmentally friendly? Well, they use way less water and they use way less food crops, like way less food crops are consumed. And because of that, way less land is used both for food that is used to feed the animals and also for the animals. And also just animals produce a lot of greenhouse gases. I guess they didn't really go into the details, but yeah, that's as much as I know. Yeah. I mean, I think this article is really, it's interesting because like all the meat production is just going to muscle meat. It's, you're not having to like, Oh, let's change like different types of tissue, like our connective tissue, or let's grow the, I don't know, the brain, brains maybe grow a little bit when you're young. Yeah, I don't know. I can't say that. You know, like you have a lot of changes in tissue that are occurring other than muscle tissue, and usually the the most commonly consumed tissue is muscle tissue. So this is just like concentrated growth of muscle tissue, which is exactly yeah. You're only producing what you need. You're not producing. You're also not producing a living thing that you have to then kill. I don't know. We'll get into that. But also, I guess there's downsides to that as well because you won't produce as much fat. I don't know. We'll get into that. Anyway, you totally have a really really good point. And there's actually two ways, two main ways, I guess, that they use cells to grow meat and it's with or without a scaffold. In this study, they use without a scaffold and I'll I'll explain why. So with a scaffold, it uses a scaffold that's formed from like muscle fibers, but it uses animal proteins. This is not sustainable because they're using animal proteins, which I mean, you're using other animal products. And so without a scaffold, you're not using these animal products. And so it's more sustainable, but it's a slightly more difficult to do it without a scaffold. But this study proves that it is possible. And the way that they do that is with a cell sheet technology. These uh, cell sheets are prepared in temperature responsive Petri dishes, which is pretty cool. I never heard of that, but basically these cells are prepared on these Petri dishes using like an electron beam irradiation, which makes the surface uh, hydrophilic below 32 degrees Celsius and hydrophobic at 37 degrees Celsius. And this allows the cells to adhere to the dish surface and remain attached to each other at 37 degrees 
However, when the plate goes is cooled down to below 32 degrees Celsius, the cells detach and thereby create these cell sheets. And these cell sheets are limited only by the size of the Petri dish. So basically you can make them as, as large as you can make the Petri dish. And these tissues have actually been made before, but mainly for use in uh, drug discovery to make different types of skeletal muscle, liver tissue, and cardiac tissue to be used to test in vitro tests for drug discovery. Yeah, I think the, the technology is really interesting. Obviously, like, yes, you can grow them as, in terms of the, the diameter, it's going to you know maximize the petri dish. At some point, you're going to end up with such a high concentration to cell, the cells become confluent and don't really keep growing. In fact, they'll start dying off a little bit, which is fine if you're eating them. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, that's why they tested three or for a condition, which is the amount of days they grew it on the petri dish. It was like one of the main conditions they tested, which was one, three or seven days. And they used uh, bovine myoblast cells, which are like embryonic precursors to myocytes, which are the cells that are muscle cells. And they grew them, yeah, for one to three or seven days, and then detached them and stacked them on, on top of each other. I actually have a question for, about this. I'm not really sure if you guys caught this, but do you know how they stack them on top of each other? You know, I was actually looking for some sort of like, oh, we use some sort of like glue bait, like a glue, you know, I'm putting quotation marks, but I, I, I did not see how they, I couldn't really find like a strong. Did they simply just detach it and then stack them, place it, place it on top? Like with, I don't know. They might've, uh, yeah, I didn't catch. Either way, that's something they didn't really talk about. <laughs> Between the different days, the diameters varied a little bit with the myoblast cells themselves, like the actual individual cells were a lot smaller in diameters, the longer they were grown. And I assume this is due to confluency and I mean, you're using up more of the actual, um, the food that you give these cells, like the agar. Yeah. And, and so the cells aren't going to grow to be as large and they don't have as much space to expand. Go ahead. For those of us who are unsure about like what confluency is, it's kind of just basically, right, you're in this cult, this Petri dish, and there's only so many cells that can inhabit this Petri dish. And when the cells start to get closer and closer to one another, they kind of start to glob over, you reach this point of confluency, which is the maximum amount of cells per Petri dish. Yeah. And cells, they like to be at a specific confluency, like too little, and they're kind of sad because... They don't have their buddies around to them to like communicate and to do whatever, but too many, they're too tight and too compact. And yeah. that is also not good. So there's like a specific number depending on the cell, of like how healthy the cells are. Yes. Then after that, they investigated if the Petri dishes could be reused because obviously the study is trying to be as sustainable as possible. So might as well try to use as little plastic as possible as well. And they... Uh, found out that they can use the petri dishes up to two times which is pretty cool maybe and they like also worked with other materials such as plastic or metal that might work as well but yeah they didn't talk too much about that yeah i think in the discussion the section they mentioned that like oh before people have used glass or metal and that was about the end of their discussion on other types of materials for reusability which is yeah i think that's a good point that we're trying to be as sustainable as possible yeah 
Then they did a histogram to analyze some of the properties of these cells. And like they confirmed that most of the cells were indeed myoblasts, which is good because <laughs> that's the, that was all they were trying to grow. Yeah, they also looked for presence of collagen, of which they found yes. zero. <laughs> yeah, which is not promising because uh, collagen is, or like the collagen fibers kind of gives the cells structure. And so if you want meat to taste and like, especially the texture wise to be like meat as we know it, they yes. would want to see some collagen in there. But that is things that they can edit in the future using gene manipulation. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the, so the paper that they cited that this, they used the scaffolding, they had kind of put their myocytes like in tubules almost. So they had put them in a hydrogel, so it's like a thick gel. I just like look, really quickly looked over at it, looked over it before the episode because me and Oscar were discussing what even is scaffolded. Um, yeah. They just like ran an electric current through it, so they were kind of contracting, and I think they were able to oh, get some. Oh, cool. Oh, that's so cool. So like they kind of kept them in a contracting state. Yeah, and I think that helped with some of the collagen development. At least their image looks but is, more structurally sound. Is that to like build up collagen? To be honest, I couldn't tell you. Um, contract. Anyways, that's way off topic. After that, they did something which I guess is really important. I'm, I'm glad they did this, is that they did a texture profile analysis. How thorough it was is up to discussion, but Basically, they tested, they measured the force exerted by the meats, like one stacked in these 10 cell sheets with like the circular probe. And they probed both raw and boiled meat. And they found that the increase in the number of days incubated increases the hardness, as well as boiled meat being harder than raw meat, which is good. It's realistic. And the elasticity had the same trend as like the, the more days was harder. And if it was boiled, it was, or no, if it was more days, it was more elastic. And if it was boiled, it was also more elastic than raw. And then they compared the cohesiveness, the springiness, or springiness, the chewiness and the brittleness and the adhesiveness. Basically, the cohesiveness was expressed as the ratio of the energy required for the first or for the, yeah, for the first push to that required for the second push. Not really sure what that means. And then the springiness was expressed as the ratio of the distance from the point at which the force was detected at the beginning of the push to the maximum push position. Chewiness was calculated by multiplying the hardness cohesiveness, springiness of the stack tissues and beef. The brittleness represents the amount of force drop at which the sample is broken during the processing, pressing process. And the adhesiveness represents the energy exerted per volume of the sample in the negative direction when the indentation jig is pulled up. And this is like, they kind of followed a method that has been used before. It's like the Sesniak method. So... I don't know, that probably doesn't mean a lot to most people, but it's sort of a method to measure these different variables, which is kind of interesting to see that that's how they're measured. So, yeah, they mentioned that the adhesiveness 
doesn't decrease for the this like these stack sheets, but it does decrease for commercial beef. Does it mean that? Um, how does that like affect like the taste, like the texture that we would taste? Like, do you know? I, I mean, like, I'm would not... it not become like softer or something? Yeah, I'm not. I don't entirely know. I do know that if you go look look at at figure C and then you compare it to figures F G H. So, so figure four C and then figure F G H. What they do is they compare their cell sheets to that of to beef. So figure C is looking at like the force on different days, like the amount of force. So when you push into the cell sheet, it's going to push back. So that pushback is what they're measuring. And if you just look at it, all of their things look kind of similar to that of beef until you look at the y-axis. And then you see that the y-axis of the beef, the Newtons produced is like 20 and the y-axis of the cell sheets is like 0.5 newtons. Oh, yeah. So I think, yeah, I, that's a good point, Sanjana. The textural thing, I, I think they have some work to do on the texture. Well, yeah, I didn't even catch that. That's a huge difference. That's terrible. Why, why would they do that? Yeah. But, I, I mean, that's, that's terrible how they don't put it on the same axis. That's so misleading. I know. I know. This is misleading 101. Good on you for catching that. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I think what we'll see... Throughout the rest, of, as we discussed the rest of the article, it's a really, you know, I think it's a move in the right direction. I think we have a long ways to go. Like, I mean, you can even look at, so figures D and E look at hardness. So how hard is the beef and then the elasticity and figures G and H do the same thing in raw beef. And again, the y-axis is massively different where the cell sheets are on the range of uh, 20, 0 to 25 and the raw beef is on the range from zero to 500. Yeah, there's a huge difference in elasticity and hardness in real meat, mm-hmm. or sorry, boiled or raw. Whereas yeah. the, I mean, there is a difference, but it's, yeah, it's, I, I wonder why that is. Well, I think we'll move into the nutrition. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just about to say that might, this this next section might give us the answer, sort of. Yeah, I think that, that section we'll, we'll talk about it as well as the fact there's no collagen, right? So there's no, like the main structural extracellular structural tissue or structural proteins are just not present. Yeah. And I didn't really give us a prediction for why, right? Yeah, they, they did not. I think they had some in the discussion theory. section, they maybe mentioned, you know, ways they could produce collagen, but that was not theorized why there was no collagen. I don't think. As Hayden was saying, this next section is the nutritional analysis, and it goes over some things, but some of the things that I think are most important is that cell sheets have 20% more water than the beef, which makes them structurally very different, especially if you're cooking them. Obviously, that water content will be lost, and most likely that meat will be a lot drier. And then they compared the protein, and the protein was lower if you, in, if you included the water weight, but higher if you did by dry weight. So I think, what is most relevant, dry weight? Because that's where you're eating. Well, I mean, I don't know if we're eating completely dry weight, quote unquote, but yeah, it's like there's twice as much water almost, or sorry, there's twice yeah. as much protein in wet beef in comparison to the cell sheets. And then it's a basically flip-flopped for the dry weight. Yeah. So would you say that that's a positive or a negative? Like, I mean, 
I don't know, looking at some of the relationships. So if, I mean, if you look at the total scale back at those figures I, I mentioned earlier, like the scale is massively different. But if you look at the relationships, the relationships on day seven are kind of similar. I mean, it's not perfect, but they're as far as like the difference in raw versus boiled beef and versus raw versus the boiled sheets, the ratio of like the force that a raw cell has versus the force of a boiled cell, that ratio is kind of similar to the force of the raw beef and boiled beef. So, you know, which one's more important? I'm not entirely sure. Did they mention why the the wet beef has like more protein? Uh, oh, like the wet weight? Well, like oh, the, the, wet the wet weight, weight has less protein by weight oh for which one and then once they like yeah and once it's dry then it has more protein which oh, kind of makes okay. sense because you're removing more water so by weight you'll have like a, a lot more of the cell sheet meat it's like the same weight but it's like more you have to use more of the original to get to yeah. the same dry weight if that makes sense. i don't know it's hard to explain but either way yeah okay we'll move on to the next nutritional fact about it which was the amount of carbohydrates which actually it had uh, slightly more mm-hmm. carbs, which, yeah, I mean, you can think what you want about that. But I mean, meat in itself doesn't have that many carbs either way. But, and then they also looked at the saturated fatty acids and the fatty acids. Yeah. So there was, it was 0.2% of pro- like, standard deviation of 0.1 but 0.2 percent in the myoblast cell sheets while it was 0.8 percent in the beef. beef yeah i think it's it, more in the beef but but if you look at the percent variation in the beef it's really high yeah and i think they again like they, they mentioned they, they address some of these concerns in their discussion section but like beef is going to vary a lot by the cut of meat you use so like what's like a flame mignon i think is like a really lean cut of meat versus like a ribeye very different amounts yeah. of unsaturated fatty acids. Yeah, but that kind of that also shows that for regular meat, you can choose what kind of fat content you want just by the cut that you're using. Whereas, hopefully, as a discussion section will discuss, maybe we can also change the fat content of the cell sheets depending on what kind of genes we're expressing. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of interesting that they didn't do saturated fat. Fatty acids, like saturated fats, because that's such a large part. Yeah, I mean, would the saturated fats be coming from membranes? I don't know. I mean, that's usually what the concern is. Like the health concern is the saturated fats, fatty acids, and as like the saturated fat in animal products is like that is where the health concerns lie. I think it's interesting they didn't look at that. Yep, I agree. Basically, wrapping this article up, they kind of discuss these results for us. Again, there's some points that I'd like to point out, and that is that the increased in hardness after increased in culture time was because of the increased F-actin. And they mentioned that there are methods that they can use to engineer this. So that way they can engineer the texture of the meat, both by culture time, but also by uh, mechanical stimulation and the um, cytokines. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. I was like, huh, cytokines. Yeah, they just say cytokine. They don't, I mean, yeah. They didn't really, I know, they don't really elaborate on 
Oh, it's not even cytokines. It's just with cytokine. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's interesting. But then they also, like, you can further improve the texture, like electrical stimulation as well, and myotube forma- or formation, yeah. and myoblast orientation. So basically, there's, like, multiple ways that you can engineer these cells to change the texture to the way that you want. And that means that, I mean, that's lovely to hear because that way we can we can kind of produce different kinds of cell sheet meats to satisfy people's desires yes sorry the most important result which was the production of a large size cell sheet based meat yes (laughs) yes i don't know if you had an opportunity to go look at the supplementary information i did and take a peek at the the meat that they made. But I did because I was very curious. I was ready to get very excited by a yummy looking cell sheet steak. And what I saw horrified me. It looks yeah. like transparent ham. <laughs> that was the same thought we all had. It looks like ham. It looks like, you know, those blobfish? It looks like a cross section of that. Yeah. Or like the skin of a blobfish. Yeah. Either way, what we're trying to say is that it, it's not very good looking. It's not looking no. promising. And no. I just, I think it's because of the high water content because it's yes. like really shiny. They did say that they put formaldehyde on it. Wait, they, 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 wait, they, they, they said that? Yeah, yeah, it was fixed with 4% PFA. Oh, oh no. So I don't know how you could like eat that. And also they're going to need a lot of sheets to make it look realistic yes and that was them making a big one it doesn't look very big or like yeah i don't know 10 centimeters that's quite big i guess yes but that was the dish yeah i I don't think because like the meat is only produced in the middle of the dish i don't know why like why does it spread out all the way i don't know but you also think like they were discussing the, the diameters and the thickness and on the 10 layered sheets with this, because they initially did these in small dishes. I think that they were, were they, was it a 10 millimeter dish? Is that, is that the initial dish size they used was a 10 millimeter dish? Yeah. I, can't I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Their thickness there was like 1.43, ranging from 1.43 to 2.28 millimeters, depending on the day. So we have a ways to go as far as growing. And especially because they also talked about the, or they calculated the time it would take to produce one kilogram of meat from one gram of cells that mm-hmm. are taken from a bovine cheek muscle. And they calculated it to be approximately 29 to 47 days. Now, I'm not sure if that number is good or not. I don't know. What do you guys think? I don't think it would work here. I feel like meat... Uh, a lot of people eat meat, and I think it would have to be made a lot more quickly and also, like, a larger amount. I also don't know how much, like, resources it takes to make just this, like, one kilogram. I yes. mean, I think it's a lot less than – actually, I don't know. Yeah, I, I also don't know. I don't – I'm my thought is, you know, when you're doing these things, sort of things, you have to consider the media that you're growing it on. So what is the cost of making the media? Because – the media, like the reason that this that it was high in carbohydrates was because they used a high glucose media. So 
what are you making this media out of for the meat, but also like the energy cost of growing something at 37 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is, but that also is probably something that should probably be examined. Yeah. But you know, overall, I don't know. I feel like if they could make it look better than they did, like a slimy pizza ham, I would eat it. It wouldn't necessarily be like my fine dining. I would too. I mean, they could make it into ground beef. Yeah. Or they could they could dry it to beef jerky. Make it into sausages. I mean, people eat Making anything. Sausages. Yeah. Maybe don't, or like hamburger. Yeah, I guess that's ground beef. Yeah. Like, like maybe not, they're not, I don't think they're steak ready. No. But. <laughs> or ground meat. Yeah. Especially their sheets too. They can be like, like sandwich meat. Yeah, exactly. Maybe yeah. this is healthier cured meats, the, the cured meats of the future. I would totally eat it. Maybe blindfolded. <laughs> I think this paper no, is think... like a good foundation for cell based meat, but we're not there yet. No, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it's interesting. The idea, like, can we reduce some of the like the, the crazy amount of arable land that we have to put towards animal production? Can we change some of like, can we do something where we change how we're feeding the animals, like more? like aeroponic gardens and whatnot, where you're able to basically do vertical farming instead of, well, maybe that's not the right word, but you're able to vertically stack your farmland instead of horizontally. Um, yeah, let's build skyscrapers for farms. Sky, plant skyscrapers. <laughs> they deserve fine living as well. They're, yeah. they're living. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, we have a long ways to go, but people are trying, I think. I yeah. mean, we have like Impossible, the Impossible Burger. Yeah, exactly. So I and think people are open. Good. Yeah, and like the impossible stuff and some of the other faux meats are doing like becoming a little bit more accepted. And so maybe this will be the, the next big thing. Who knows? I mean, I know that some people are kind of just like they will not give up regular meat because they just they think it's wrong in eating fake meat. Not really sure. I don't know. My controversial take is I'd rather just eat like beans or something. If I'm going to have a veggie burger, I'd just rather have like a bean bean burger than a impossible burger. But maybe that's like, yeah, you're saying like there's no need to make fake meat. Just like don't eat meat. Yeah. I mean, if you guys like I put down some, I, I don't know, like I've eaten plenty of delicious vegetarian meals. You don't need to always have like a fake meat. Sometimes you just I, the vegetables. I agree. Yeah, I think some people just don't like the fake meat because it doesn't match in either taste or texture that they associate with real meat. But yeah, yeah, you could also just not eat meat. Yeah. But then there's that <laughs> component of, of like meat has like a lot of nutrients because I mean, animals are consuming and collecting all these nutrients throughout their lives. And then we eat them and they're like very nutrient dense. And that's why meat is kind of, it's still, still very relevant because it's a lot more nutritious than just eating. I don't know. I mean, nowadays, we definitely have what we need to... I mean, you can definitely still be fully vegan and get all the nutrients that you need, but it is it does require more effort. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I would agree with that. It's, it's a lot harder. But, you know, eating a little less here and maybe eating a little bit more cell, cell-made meat here and there. Maybe that's the key. Yeah, I don't know enough about all the ecological effects of meat and the best ways to handle the problem. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's good reading something like this because it, 
kind of reminds us of the problem of food. I don't know. Everyone's probably reminded. They, yeah, I think also isn't the but. um isn't the meat industry also one of the reasons for what was it the misuse of antibiotics? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, the, the meat industry is a terrible example of, or it, maybe it's a great example of misuse of antibiotics. I don't know. But yeah. maybe this is another key to addressing that problem. Though cell culture can get bacterial infections still. Like you can still get bacteria in cells. And that's a whole other issue to deal with. Yeah. But I think it's more control, though. I don't know. I mean, yeah. They're, but I guess they're... You're, also adding, you're also adding antibiotics to cell cultures most of the time. Like the media that you grow it in is usually with antibiotics yes but you can you can end up with mycoplasma in your cell culture and that is a whole issue because it doesn't have the same a lot of the antibiotics that we use in cell culture will target not all of them but some of them that we use will target cell wall synthesis and mycoplasma have a different cell wall so they're a little bit more resistant to that sort of thing Okay, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to Daily Discoveries.